All right. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to get to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black one underneath the chair. You can grab that one. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. You can pull it up on your phone or device, or otherwise it will be on the screen. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. While you're getting there, let me tell you a story about a Romanian bear. Uh, I think we have a picture of that bear, maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it'll pop up there. If it does, congrats. You get to see it. Um, so this bear's name is Ina, uh, and um, here's what's interesting about this bear is there was an article written about this bear because it was released from captivity into the wild, and they noted for seven years this bear would find itself turning a circle, living as if it was living in an imaginary cage. It was in the wild, but it was living as if it was captive, and in this article it says, The bear named Ina was kept in a tiny cage at a zoo in the Romanian city of some Romanian words that I'm not going to try to say. For 20 years, being rescued and relocated to a reserve, and that was done by this organization called AMP. And so an AMP spokesperson says this of that bear, she is free, but her mind is captive even now. And there are days when she turns endlessly in a circle pinned in by an imaginary cage created by her traumatic life. She still cannot properly comprehend a life without bars and continues to pace the imaginary cage as if she is still around her. She has been traumatized to an extreme level where the cage has become an integral part of her life even after her release. She's free. She's been rescued and launched into the life she was meant to live. And yet she continues to live as if she is captive. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I want you to feel bad for a bear? No. But because I think that description describes some of your Christian lives. You have been set free. God has set you free through Christ into the life that you were meant to live, and yet you live as if you are still captive. In all kinds of ways, perhaps all kinds of things. And the truth of the matter is, you are supposed to walk in freedom. We as the people of Jesus, we have been set free. So then, we should fight to live free. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you're there in Galatians chapter 5. My invitation to you is to stand as we read God's word. We'll read Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. At the end of our reading, we say this phrase, the very words, just as a way to separate God's perfect words from mine that are not. This is what the Word of God says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You can have a seat. So just as a reminder, here's our main idea. That if you are in Christ, you are free. So fight to live free. So perhaps it's helpful to answer this question, what is true of us in Christ? According to here in Galatians chapter 5, what is true of us in Christ? Here we go, verse 1. If you are in Christ, you are free, so fight to live free. Look back at verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. This is what Paul says to the Galatian church. For the purpose of freedom, Jesus has set you free. The goal of Christ coming to free you was so that you would live as free people. That's his very goal. You are free in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. And perhaps you've been in church for any amount of time. You know that phrase. You've even said that phrase. But perhaps you can't define that phrase. What does it actually mean to be free in Christ? And perhaps it's helpful for us to actually define what does it not mean? And then define properly what does it mean? But what does it not mean? A freedom in Christ is not doing what you want, when you want, how you want. That's a popular version of freedom, particularly in the country that we live in. We are free people, we do what we want, when we want, how we want. And so we just transplant that onto our relationship with God. Oh, we have freedom in Christ, how do we think about freedom? I must be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But my friend, you would be mistaken because that's not actually freedom. It's slavery to yourself. And as I've heard Matt Chandler say before, you're a bad master. You and I are not good at running our lives. And we have proved that over and over and over and over again, that left to ourselves, we will not lead ourselves into the fullness of life. We need a different master, a better one, one who will lead us to a place that's actually for our good, one who's leading us into real deal freedom, not the kind of freedom that says, I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want, because that's just enslaving myself to myself, and I'll never lead myself to real life. So then what is it? What is freedom in Christ? It's multifaceted. It's a double-sided coin. It, it is freedom from something, but it's also freedom to something. Freedom from some things. Jen Wilkins says it like this. In Christ, we, that's the people of Jesus, we have been freed from sin's penalty. We are being freed from sin's power and we will one day be freed from sin's presence. Here's the reality of us in Christ, that the penalty of sin is done. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those of us who are in Christ, the wrath of God has been dealt with in full and has been dealt with on the cross. There is no more penalty left for those of us who are in Christ. And as we walk in Christ by the power of the Spirit, we are being freed day by day from sin's power over us. It is no longer our master. We have a new and better master to follow. And by the power of the Spirit, we will be free from sin's power. And there will be a day when heaven meets the earth and Christ returns and reigns, where we will be free from sin's presence, it will one day no longer plague you and I. Struggle will be done 
and we will be free from sin's penalty, from sin's power, and we will one day be free from sin's presence. This is part of what it means to be free in Christ. These are the things we are being freed from. And yet it's also a freedom to something. We often mistakenly stop there. We're freed from these things, right? We've been released from captivity. But often many of you are much like the bear that I described in the beginning. Oh, I've been freed from this cage, but I don't understand the life that I've actually been freed toward. And so often you just find yourself living in the same captivity, not understanding that you've been led to a different kind of life. Because freedom in Christ is not just a freedom from something, it's a freedom towards something. Scott McKnight in his commentary on Galatians says it like this. Being free is the liberation of a person's spirit to do what God wants, to be what God wants, and to enjoy the life God gives us on this earth. Did you catch it? He doesn't describe freedom as something behind you. You've not been freed from something. You're actually being freed towards something. God has freed you and invited you into a different kind of life to be and to do all that he has designed for you to do. God has released you from captivity to draw you into a fuller kind of life. The mistake that we make as followers of Jesus is all that we think is God is freeing us from our sin and so we'll just hold on till it gets better in heaven and you've missed the reality that God is actually inviting you into a fuller better life right now. He's freed you from something and to something. And Jesus actually describes this for us in Matthew chapter 11. He says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in spirit. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the same formula. Jesus says, look, those of you who are weary and heavy and enslaved, come to me and I will free you from that. But look, when you come to me, I'm going to free you to something. Put my yoke on you and learn from me. For my yoke's easy and my burden is light. Some of you are under a yoke of slavery. And the invitation from Jesus is, come to me and I'll free you from that. And I'll put a yoke on you and free you to a way better kind of life. We're freed from some things in Christ and we are freed toward other things in Christ. This is what it means for us to be free in Christ. But the reality is, We find ourselves putting on yokes of slavery. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says back in verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. You're free. Jesus has set you free, so live free. And so he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says to them, look, you're free, so you're going to have to fight to be free. Stand firm, persevere, endure, and be free. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And particularly for the Galatians, right, he's saying to them, look, don't, don't find yourself enslaving yourself to this false teaching that's come in and say, hey, look, you can believe in Jesus all you want to, but you have to bear the covenant sign. You have to obey the law of Moses. If you would really be right with God, you can believe on Jesus, that's fine, right, and good, but you must bear the sign of the Mosaic covenant. And Paul comes in and says, that's not true. They're putting on you a yoke of slavery. You're free. Be free. 
And let's just be real. Nobody's coming up here on Sundays and being like, hey, everybody, I know that we love Jesus and everything, but I hope you're bearing the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Nobody's doing that. But we find ourselves submitting to yokes of slavery all the same. We find ourselves adding to the work of Jesus all the time in order to gain or maintain right standing with God. And there's two categories for us here. It's the things that we do and the things that we don't do. And it's not really about the action, it's about the motive. And so for some of you, you do some things, you engage some things, and when you do them, you think, that's going to gain or maintain my right standing with God. Because I do these things, it's gaining or maintaining my right standing with God. And maybe for others of you, it's not what you do, it's what you don't do. And so when you avoid these things, you think, because I don't do these things, it gains or maintains right standing with God. And so you will work really hard if you have action, or you will work really hard to avoid these things because those are places you go to gain or maintain right standing with God. And Paul's words to us are, you're submitting yourself again to a yoke of slavery and you're free. You're free. And so some of you, like, you participate in spiritual disciplines. You read the scriptures, and you pray, and you gather with the people of God with this motive, because I think that when I do that, it gains and maintains my right standing with God. And you know if this is you, because what do you think God thinks about you when you don't do those things? When you wake up and you don't read the scriptures, you blow it, you get in traffic, and you say things that aren't Christian and aren't very kind, and you get to work and you lose it on a coworker, and you go home and you scream at your kids and you're just done with your spouse and something goes wrong and you're just having the worst day of your life, what do you think God thinks about you in that moment? Because I did not do these things that I thought I should do, I actually think that I'm not as in right standing with God as if I would be if I did them. Because it's proven that when you do them, when you wake up and you just like, you open the scriptures and you meet with the Lord and you're, it's like two hours. And like Moses shows up and Elijah shows up and you're like, we should build a tent here and be here forever. This is incredible. And you go and you just let everybody cut in in traffic because you're just so patient that day. And you go to work and your whole office believes on Christ. It's just Pentecost in your office building. It's just like the best day of your life. And you go home and your kids are like, mother, father, I would like to follow the Lord and your instructions today. And you're like, of course you will. Come to me, right? <laughs> and you're just having the best day of your life. And you think in that moment, I must be in right standing with God based on what I'm producing today. But the reality of righteousness is this, that on the day you blow it and on the day you crush it, you are right before God in Christ. It is not based on what you do or do not do. It's based on what has been done. So the message from Paul in Christ is, you're free. Be free. Fight to be free. And so listen, if you're here today, some of you are here today doing a lot of activity that looks really Christian, but for a really jacked up motive. And so my question to you is this, aren't you tired? Aren't you exhausted? Because listen to me, that's not the Christian life. 
You might, you might be doing Christian things, my friend, but it's not Christianity. The message of Christianity is, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you need to abandon some of your motives and embrace Jesus. And listen, I'm not here today to be like, we shouldn't read our Bibles and we shouldn't go to church. And we, we, it's okay to cuss people out in traffic. Like, I'm not here to do that. Don't email Brian and be like, you're youth pastors that we could use potty language in, the, in traffic. All of those things matter. When we do them from a place of right standing with God, not for a right standing with God. You have been set free. You are in right standing with God. Therefore, we do read the scriptures because we want to hear from this God who has set us free. We do pray because it's a miracle that the God of the universe would incline his ear to us. We want to live holy because we have been set free to live a different kind of life. We want to share the gospel with our neighbors and coworkers because there's a way to be set free and you're living in slavery. Come over here, not because we're trying to gain right standing with God, but because we have it. Jesus has set us free, so be free. Don't submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. And now the question is this, how do we do that? How do we fight? What what is it going to take for us to fight to be free? Look at verse 2. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you, That if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The first way that we fight for our freedom in Christ is to remember that there is only one way to be made right with God. You see that in verse three. Paul says, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision, who takes on, I'm gonna bear the covenant sign of the Mosaic law in order to be made right with God. He says, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. The reality is, is when we take on other means of righteousness, we make the cross purposeless. When we go outside of the cross of Christ for righteousness, we make the cross meaningless. You are severed from Christ. We don't just find ourselves in need of Jesus and Jesus alone. We say, I can find righteousness over here. I'll find it in some other source, particularly for the Galatians. It was bearing the covenant sign. And Paul says to them, if you would do that, you're obligated to keep the whole law and you sever yourself from Christ. There's only one way to be made right with God. But maybe why does this matter? Cade, why does it matter if we just like, look, we can believe in Jesus and do some things, right? Like certainly that's okay. Well, the problem is like the, re- the entire book of Galatians. Paul writes the letter for that very reason. It, back in Galatians 1, 6 to 9, he says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel. And then he caveats it in verse 7. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The summation of this passage is this, as my friend says, to add to the gospel is to make it no gospel at all. And so for those of you in here would say, look, I'm going to believe on Jesus and do these things or not do these things, and that will make me right with God. My friend, you've made it no gospel at all, and there is only one way to be made right with God. So then how? How is it that we are made right with God? Look back at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For, here's the phrase, in Christ Jesus. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul's words to the Galatians are, look, you you know how you stand right before God? You stand right before God in Christ. It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. It's not action. It's not inaction. It's not bearing the covenant sign or not bearing the covenant sign. It's faith working through love in Christ. You are made right with God through this theological term that won't matter to you, but the the meaning of it will. You're made right through God because of imputed righteousness. And you're like, thanks for the words for nothing, Cade. The, the, The words don't matter to you. The concept does matter to you. And so to help you, you can remember Abram, right? Flash all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to Abram. He's like, Abram, go to the land, I'll show you. And he's like, sure I will, God. And he goes. He's like, I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna bless those who bless you. I'm gonna curse those who curse you. I'm going to promise you a son. And Abraham's like, hey, bro, like I'm real old and homegirl with me. She's real old too. So I'm not sure this is going to like work out like you think it's going to work out, God. But I guess we'll obey you. And in Genesis chapter 15, God speaks to Abram and he says, Abram. And he reminds Abram of the promise. And Abram's like, God, it's been a while, man. And like all I've got is this dude, Eliezer of Damascus. And God's like, that guy, he's not going to be your heir. Go outside. Look up. And then he says to Abram, start counting the stars if you're able. And the intent is to overwhelm Abram. Start counting the stars, Abram. You won't be able to. It's not League City, right? Like when when you count the stars in League City, you're like, one, two, that's it, right? (laughs) It would be an overwhelming scenario. He would look up and be like, God, I, I I don't count that high. And that's the point. It's to remind Abram of this promise that God gave. I'm going to make you a great nation. I told you I would do it, and I'll do it. And here's what happens in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It says this phrase, And he, that's Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is imputed righteousness. Abraham believes on the good promise of God, and God counts it to him. Maybe your Bible says God credits it to him as righteousness. He simply, by grace, puts it into his account. You are right before me by faith alone. You have believed on me, and it's counted to you as righteousness. Flash all the way forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says it like this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is righteousness imputed to us in Christ. For our sake, we get the benefit. God made Jesus, who was perfect, to become our sin. He took on the wrath of God on the cross. 
For what purpose? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when we come to God through Christ by faith, what is true of Jesus becomes true of us in full. The righteousness of Jesus is imputed to you. It's credited to you. It's counted to you by grace and grace alone. That's how we're made right with God. What becomes true of Jesus becomes true of us by grace, through faith alone. There's only one way to be made right with God. And so you remember the gospel and fight for your freedom. You've heard this from a million preachers perhaps in the past. But this is the mistake that we make as the people of God who have been in church for any amount of time. We believe the gospel at one point in our life and we move on into what we call the deeper things of God. And my friend, for you to abandon the gospel would be the biggest mistake of your Christian life. Perhaps the best thing that you could do every single day of your life is to wake up and to remind yourself, God, I stand before you right today based on nothing that I have done, based on nothing that I will do. I am right because of Christ. You are pleased with me because of Christ. You call me your son or your daughter because of Christ. I will not earn that today. It's simply given to me by grace and you will rehearse the gospel moment by moment, day by day, because we're prone to forget. And we'll forget and we'll start to work because we'll blow it and then we'll do things to say, look God, I'm worthy of you to love me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm avoiding. God, I'm trying to do this better. I showed up to church. God, I read my Bible this morning. I didn't say those things. I went to those places. I spoke to my neighbor about the gospel. God, certainly you will love me. And all the while the message from God is, I love you. I love you. I love you. I will not stop loving you. You're in Christ. You're right with God. There is no other way. And so you fight for your freedom by reminding yourself of the gospel over and over and over again. Second way we fight for our freedom, we see starting in verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. The second way we fight for freedom is by paying attention to the messages that you're hearing and reject what's false. Pay attention to the messages that you're hearing and reject what's false. The message that comes in to the Galatian churches is this. Hey, you can believe on Jesus all you want, but you have to bear the covenant sign of the Mosaic law. And some of them hear that message and believe that message. And so Paul writes this letter to correct that false teaching. And again, we don't have the exact same heresy from the Galatians. But there are messages that we hear, that we will absorb as the people of Jesus as if they are scripture. And I'm not talking like, turn on the news and like, oh, you know, that's just the wackest agenda ever. I'm not, about, I'm not talking about that. You can talk about the extreme stuff all day long. I'm talking about stuff that we as the people of Jesus would mark up as Christian that are not. Things like this. God only helps those who help themselves. 
right? I mean, like, you do your part, God does his part, we get along down the road. The problem is this, Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The message of Paul to the Romans is, you couldn't help you, and God helped you anyway. And so, a a number of pastors have said it like this. It's not God helps those who help themselves. In fact, the gospel message is this. God helps those who cannot help themselves. The reality of the gospel is we stand helpless in our sin. We have no ability to make ourselves right with God. We are not kind of good, and God takes that little bit of good and makes it a little bit more good and a little bit more good. We are totally jacked up by our sin. It has invaded and infected every part of our lives. And if you're thinking, that seems a little extreme, it needs to be that extreme because when we see our sin for as invasive as it is, we will see grace as as incredible as it is. How could it be that God, infinite, holy God, would show us grace knowing who we are and where we go and what we think and what we will do? But my friend, that's the very definition of grace. So it's not God helps those who help themselves, it's that God moves toward those and helps those who can't. But this is a message that we will hear and we'll think, yeah, 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 that's that's Christianity. But it's a distortion of it. It sounds a little bit like it, but it will lead you into further slavery and you'll get to work trying to help yourself so that God will help you and you're submitting yourself again to a yoke of slavery and you've forgotten you're free. You're free. Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe the thing that you hear and might believe is this. It's the grace of God that gets you into relationship with him, but it will be our work that keeps us in. And we're good, I mean, we're orthodox here, right? Like we live in the South, we go to bury a church, and so we're just like, look, you get salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Okay, I know that, I learned it when I was five, I'm now 35, and I just know like all of that, that's how we are saved. And you think, I enter into relationship with God by grace through faith in Christ alone. But, Cade, the way that we maintain that relationship with God is by our work. And again, you know this, If you just think about your life, what do you think God thinks about you when you blow it? What do you think God thinks about you when you crush it? When you get to work for God, do you begin to think, man, I bet he is loving me today. When you can't get it right, are you fearful to even approach him because you think he's ashamed and he turns his face away? My friend, the condemnation that you think God is handing to you, he's already handed to his son on the cross. There's none left for you. There's none left for you. You've entered in by grace, and you will remain by grace. It's grace that has brought us in, and it's grace that will lead us home. It's grace and grace alone. In fact, Paul says it like this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2, now I would remind you, brothers, and let's just remember, Paul, I want to remind you, because we are a people who are prone to forget, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past tense, in which you stand right now, 
and by which you are future being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Paul says it's the gospel that gets you in, it's the gospel that keeps you in, and it will be the gospel that keeps you till the end. It's grace that got you here, and it's grace that will keep you. Many of you, though, hear this message of get to work so that God is pleased, and you submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery, forgetting your And maybe, for some of you, the false message that you believe is this. If you do good, you'll get good. You do good for God, you get good from God. And again, maybe some of you in this moment are like, hey, Kate, I'm not sure if you read your Bible, but that message is kind of in the Bible. Galatians chapter 6 says that you reap what you sow. What is produced out of your life is directly correlated to what you put into your life. In some ways, in some ways what you put in is, is, a, is linked to what comes out of you. And that's right. I'm not, that's the Bible, and I'm not the Bible. So let's go with the Bible. But this is where we get it twisted. We think, because I do good for God, God should only give me good in life. And this gets exposed in us when we suffer. We face suffering and we're confused. God, what are you doing? I, I go to church. Man, I read my Bible. I love my spouse and my spouse alone. I'm trying to lead my kids toward you. I give. Man, like, what do you want? What, do you, what else do you want from me, God? I've, I've been doing good for you, God. Certainly you should give good to me in return. And you're forgetting that even in suffering, the goodness of God is not void. Perhaps some of you are in a scenario of suffering right now, and the temptation is to shake your fist at God. God, what are you doing? I'm not saying that's not a natural response. I'm not saying you can't feel the way that you feel, but I want to remind you with the truth. God does not cease being good, though you face suffering. Read the book of Job. God will remind Job of exactly who he is. And we will witness the goodness of God in indescribable suffering. So for those of you who are facing just the worst of the worst right now, what I want to do pastorally is say, I'm so sorry. It is real suffering. It is real hurt, and it is directly correlated to the bustedness of the world by sin. But God is still good to you in your suffering. God is still good to you in your suffering. He will move toward us and by his spirit comfort us and give us what we need to move forward. Sometimes we live as Christians and face suffering and God does not cease being good. It's not do good and get good. It's Jesus' promise to his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. God reigns over even your season of suffering. He's good to you even in your season of suffering. And perhaps if you have nothing else to hold on to amidst your suffering, what you have to hold on to is the reality 
that God is who he says he is, he will do exactly what he said he will do. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will comfort you. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand. He will carry you when you feel like you cannot go. His grace will be sufficient for you. His power will be made perfect in your weakness because he is good to you even when the circumstances aren't. And so we fight for our freedom. We fight for our freedom by paying attention to the messages that you hear and reject what is false. We remember the gospel and we pay attention to what we're hearing and we reject what's false. Followers of Jesus at Bay Area, you are free. In Christ, you have been set free. So let's fight to be free. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to have an opportunity to respond here in just a moment as we play another song. And there'll be some pastors and prayer partners up here at the front. But I just want to ask you a couple of questions just to get you thinking in our response time together. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been participating in things that look Christian, but you're not free. The invitation to you in this moment is to come and be set free. Today, the offer of freedom in Christ is available to you. Come forward. Come, come and talk to one of these pastors or prayer marches and say, I need to be set free. I want to believe on Jesus. And maybe for others of you, you are a follower of Jesus. You know it. But the way that you have been living your life is, is, is like you're still in captivity. You're not living the life that God has set you free to live. You're working really hard, trying really hard to impress God so you can gain or maintain this right standing with God. And maybe in this moment, as we stand and sing, you just need to stay seated and confess to God, God, I've looked everywhere else to try to impress you instead of Jesus. And so here I am today saying with my body and my mind and my mouth, I am looking to Jesus for my right standing with you. There is no other way. And you just, by faith, rehearse that. And maybe for others of you, you need to remind yourself of that by singing. And so we will sing together of this grace of God that has set us free. And in singing these words that you have, may, may have a hard time believing, you stir up faith in yourself. To remind yourself, you're free. So I'm going to pray And then we're going to sing and respond. So, Father, um, we're really, really grateful that in Christ we're free. We don't have to submit to slavery anymore. You, by your Son, have set us free. So please, God, help us to live free. Where we need to fight to remind ourselves of the gospel, we want to do it. Where we need to fight to reject messages that are false, we want to do it, God. Empower us for the moment. God, I just just confess to you that I want to work to earn your grace for me. I confess to you, it's hard for me to buy that you love me even when I blow it. So God, overwhelm me and remind me of your grace in Christ today. Do that in us.
shape us by your grace, God. We love you. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen.